Hey there, and welcome to Florida's Fourth Estate. Turns out it is the name of the show that everyone in my family currently hates. Um, <laughs> so glad you're with us. Ginger, we were sitting out at the pool just the other day and my talking about the podcast, and my 14-year-old daughter comes and lays down in the sun and says, Dad, let's talk about a new name for your podcast. What? <laughs> That's never a good sign. <laughs> ah, it's a good name. And we're sticking with it. This is Florida's fourth we estate. Like I'm Matt Austin. And I'm Ginger Gadsden. I, you tell your daughter that I like the name, and unless she can come up with something better, then we're sticking with it. She probably will come up with something she, better, because I know her. She's yeah. a pretty smart cookie. <laughs> that's yeah. quite possible. Welcome to another edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. You know, we've been having some really frank conversations, mm -hmm. not just in our homes and our places of work, but just about everywhere in this country. And we're talking of course, about race. And ever since the death of George Floyd, which is two weeks ago now, a little more than two weeks ago, it has sparked a conversation about race in America and what it means to be a black person, a brown person, a person of color in this country. And I really love that we have started to talk about this. So we've been trying to get people to engage in the conversation. And, you know, I want to listen as much as I talk. And I feel like that's the only way we're going to get better. So we have someone who we want you to listen to today. Our guest is Dr. Annette Nunez. She is a psychotherapist and founder of Breakthrough Interventions. She's gonna to talk to us about what it is like to have a conversation with your kids, because I feel like the kids are watching, they kinda of know what's going on. They know something's going on, but they don't know exactly what's going on. So Dr. Nunez, thank you so much for joining us for this thank important you for conversation. Me. Yeah, we really appreciate you. Just to right off the bat, just tell us a little bit about what is happening when we talk about race in America right now and when we have to address it with our kids. And by kids, I mean, you know, some of some of them are teenagers, some of them are are tweens. So it's a tough conversation. You know, I always recommend to parents to start off in the beginning asking um, their child, what do they know about racism? Because kids surprise us and they know um, sometimes a lot more than what we give them credit for. So to start opening that conversation by saying, what does racism mean? What does it mean to you? Um, what images have you seen? How do you feel about them? How does that make you feel? And just opening up the, by, by asking questions about race, just to get a feel and gauge of what your child knows already. Yes, okay, so which comes first? the race or the racism, because I feel like your child can't wake up in the morning, it's good morning, racism. And you know, you have to talk to them about why, like people are different. Why yeah. are we different? And it's okay, you know, one of my least favorite sayings is when people will say, oh, I don't see color. And I'm like, well, then you're dismissing me. I am a person of color. I want you to see that I'm a, a, a yeah. black person. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do well, you, you know, at an early start? age, children know the difference of opposites. So they know black, white, same, different, right, wrong. So you can start having those conversations of different colors, different races, by um, teaching young children just the concept of opposites. And also, um, you know, we have this connotation about differences, that difference equals negative. Um, to be different, you're excluded. Um, you're not uh, perfect. Um, difference means that something is wrong with you. And I think we really need to start 
educating and starting with our kids that deference, we need to embrace differences because differences is what um, brings compassion and being um, belonging and looking at people's differences as an asset um, instead of something that's wrong. So I think we really need to start looking at changing the definition of what different means and people of different colors, people of different races, and really start there um, and teaching really in the beginning that concept. Yeah, and How and do you this start is this com oh, so, go ahead. Matt. No, no, sorry, Gigi. Uh, now, uh, one thing I do want to say is we are streaming live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. If you have a question for Dr. Nunez, feel free. I'm watching him right now, and uh, we'll have her answer your question. I, I do want to say that it feels like there's a lot of pressure packed in these conversations. I remember when my oldest daughter came home and she learned for the first time about. Hitler. And she comes home, I was hearing about this guy Hitler today, and you all of a sudden have to explain to your kids, oh, my oldest daughter's walking by right now, you all of a sudden have to explain to your kids, you know, this terrible thing that they have no idea about. And so, especially if, if they're white kids kind of growing up, they don't really even understand it when the, they had the civil rights movement in school, and we were talking to them about that, they're like, people were treated differently because of uh, their skin color, they didn't even really understand. So how do we not screw it up that's my biggest question <laughs> you know the beginning is just really using children's books children's books are a great great way to introduce the concept of race um, discrimination uh, children's stories have a plot and they have a problem and within that problem they have a solution so it's a great way to start talking to your children about um, you know how people treat people of color, black people, um, brown people, people of color, and then looking and reading about the solution to the conflict, and then having an open dialogue about, do they see racism at school? You know, having, before they were uncomfortable conversations, and now we really should be asking, how many black kids do you have in your class? How many Mexicans, how many Asians? So, so white children are aware that they are in a diverse population. And then to also teach them to speak up. So when they are seeing that those children may be treated differently, that they come to you, come to a teacher and say that something's not right because we need to start giving children a voice, um, whether they're white, black, brown, and, and to really start speaking up of injustices that are occurring because they do happen. I spent 10 years observing kids play and starting from a young age, you start seeing um, segregation happening on the playground. As many as people would like to deny it, it does happen. And so really having these open conversations and making white children aware and having the difficult conversations because it is happening in our world. A lot of parents will say, well, I want to shelter my kids or how do we have these hard conversations? They're going to be hard conversations no matter what. There's no way to um, make it happy, happy, joy, joy. This is a part of our history. This is part of what's going on now. So really um, educating our children and having open and honest conversations is the best way, is the best approach I can recommend. So that brings me to the question I have now. How young is too young? Because we, we're talking about playgrounds. And do we, you know, do parents address it before the kids bring it up? Or do you wait for the kids to come to you and say something? I highly recommend that parents start bringing it up. And you can start teaching um, children about different colors and races and black children, Mexican children, Asian children, all, all colors through toys. 
to start diversifying their toys at an early age, um, letting them have, um, you know, black superheroes, black dolls, and really um, reading to them books that have characters of color. That's the way you open up their world. So you can start at a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. And children are inquisitive. So children will ask, why is their skin color different than mine? They will start asking those questions. And through that, they're going to guide you. It's almost like kids teach adults um, about race and racism and um, diversity. And through their knowledge and what they know, they can guide you. And then you can get the tools needed to then help explain things a little further. Okay, and so a lot of kids, you know, a lot of parents don't allow their kids to watch the news. And I completely understand, especially in light of what's happening now, because it is difficult. But when you turn on the TV and you're seeing the protests happening and, you know, you can't help but know, okay, something is different. This is not what I'm used to seeing on my news every night. And, you know, aside from, you know, we had some bad actors and some rioting to begin with. But now, for the most part, you're seeing peaceful protests, right? People are marching through the streets. And the thing that my eye is drawn to as a, a black woman, I see that parents have their kids out there. I love that, but then I also am afraid. I'm like, gosh, are these kids here and is it painful for them to be here? Because I see the little girls who look like me mm -hmm. and they're marching and they have signs and they're chanting and they have such mean, or mad or angry expressions on their faces. And all I can think of is it's summertime. You should be riding your bike. You should be playing with your friends. You should be at summer camp. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do you begin to unpack that? Well, you know, right now, since it's currently happening, it really gives um, the little girls a voice. And you know, let's face it, and I've also experienced it, people of color and black people wanna be heard. So it gives them a place where they feel like they're being heard. Now, being exposed to maybe some of the violence that's going on, um, yes, it can have lasting effects on a child's psyche. So this is where mental health comes into play, that when children start complaining of a stomach ache or you start seeing them bedwetting or you start seeing them withdraw and not wanting to do things that they normally enjoy, um, playing with toys that they normally enjoy, that we sometimes just go to the doctor. And instead of that, for parents to really recognize that those are signs that children have anxiety or are stressed. So we may not see the effects right away right now because we're in the midst of it. So we see a lot of kids and it's empowering to kids. It's teaching them that they have a voice and it's, it's really beneficial, but long-term it will have some lasting effect. It's like PTSD. And so it's really important now to reach out and look at our mental health systems, whether it's school counselors, whether pediatricians are recommending a psychotherapist or a psychologist for a child to see. And that we, there's nothing wrong with that. We usually have a stigma that something's wrong, you're crazy, but <laughs> it's not, it, it really, Mental health professionals are designed to treat people, to talk about their problems. What is the root of this? Why are kids anxious? Is it anxious because you know they've experienced COVID, they've experienced not going to school, they're seeing stuff, images on TV now. I mean, th these are big, big, big issues for children. And for them to experience that, 
that's really anxiety provoking and stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And you can feel that with the conversations with your kids. My, I have a four year old. She's one of my three daughters. And I was walking out the door the other day. She goes, bye, dad. I hope you don't get the coronavirus. You know, like what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks. I know that there is love in that statement, and I know she's looking out for me, but the fact that that is on her list of worries is just crazy. So I I don't want to veer the conversation away too much, but let's talk about the coronavirus as well, because for three months, these kids have been locked in the house with their parents. It's been a stressful situation. We've all had to explain to them what's going on, and you want to try to do it in a way that doesn't just have them terrified to go out once everything is finished. So what do you think the best way to explain about the coronavirus to our kids would be? You know, just to be to make it very simple, don't use a lot of complicated language. Um, and to say it's like the flu, it's like getting a cold. And we wear masks to protect ourselves so we're not spreading our germs to other people. And also people aren't spreading their germs to us. Um, and as far as COVID, you know, because it's so unknown, we don't know. It changes daily. And we don't know if kids are going to be going back to school in fall. So really just take it week by week. That's what I've been um, encouraging parents to do is to make a week by week schedule because literally things change day by day. And so really creating, um, you know, summertime schedule, like things that your kids love. We integrate Fun Fridays, so we have something to look forward to because Fun Fridays are consistent. They're right before the weekend, and it's a way to celebrate the end of a week, that we got through another week. And you can do things by um, having a pizza party, having a pool party, having um, going on a hike, or whatever's fun um, for the family to do together that's non-stressful. Um, I, I really highly recommend that parents celebrate Fun Fridays. It's it's a big staple at my clinic. Our kids love it. They look forward to it. And um, I celebrate Fun Friday all the time. <laughs> and you have to make your own fun because these kids, they're so stressed. They're going through a lot already. We're talking, you know, we have a, a new civil rights movement going on and you have COVID. And I love that one of my colleagues they went to get their oil changed and it's the stay in the car oil change and they took their minivan, but they also packed a picnic. And while the oil was being changed, they're all in the car having a picnic and the kids loved it. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know what's so interesting? You know, I think our kids now today are have so much um, technology around and so much access to a lot of, um, you know, screen time and technology that sometimes I remember back in the day, I didn't have that. We were playing. We were playing in our backyards. We were making forts, um, you know, making tents and forts in our house and having sleepovers. So that's what a lot of our clients have been doing. Mm -hmm. They've been using their imaginative play and really going back to basics because actually that's how kids um, navigate their world is through play. So the more you allow a child to play and to really, really, truly play, the, it's, it's therapeutic for them. It's truly, truly mm -hmm. therapeutic for them. Yeah, yeah I, and it's good for everyone, right? It, I mean, I, I, rem I like remember, remember when a stick was a toy? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago, Ginger. <laughs> so uh, my question is, okay, so I know a lot of us worry about the conversations and about the talking when it comes to these big issues. I wonder how much of it is actions. You know, I think when it comes to, uh, say, race relations and talking to your kids about race, you could talk until you're blue in the face about equality. But if you don't ever have your kids around somebody uh, of a different cultural background, 
what what are they learning? They're learning, you know, without you saying it, that they're over here and we're over there. Same thing with the coronavirus. If you're saying, hey, don't worry about it, and then you're walking around freaking out, yelling at everybody, how much of it is it our actions that pour into our kids more than what we're actually saying to them? That's actually one of the things that I tell parents is that um, be aware of what you're saying and then the behavior you're modeling for your children. Because oftentimes parents will say one thing and then model a different thing. So just being aware with regards to the issues of race, that if you're saying, oh, well, you know, we're all one and, um, you know, let's live this happy, happy, joy, joy life. But then if a black man is walking by your car and you're locking it, what is that telling your child? Um, it's giving them a different message than what you're saying. So really being aware of actions. And and then, you know, if you do notice and are more, and are more aware, there's one thing that, that's great about that's come out of this is that people are more aware of their actions now. And so, um, you know, if your child does notice that, that's then opens up for a conversation of, mommy, why did you do that? Or daddy, why did you do that? And then opening up a conversation of, yes, that was, that I, maybe I shouldn't have done that, and, and here are the reasons why, and to have those open dialogues. But it's really important to have these uncomfortable conversations. Now, um, I don't know about you, Ginger, but we had these uncomfortable conversations in our household a lot, um, and because we're people of color. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, you know, when people talk about it, it's a lot of white people that are saying this is very uncomfortable, but for me, this was actually a conversation that I had from very little um, to yeah. when I graduated. So it's not as uncomfortable as people are making it. Um, mm -hmm. It's just something new. And, and it may it, be it's new to them. It's new to yeah, them, new to not them. New, new to us. And, exactly. you know, we've always had the, the talk in our house and my parents, you know, I, you know that you're a person of color growing up. And now when you say it to your, when you want to have conversations with your friends who don't look like you, sometimes it makes them feel uncomfortable. And that's not what we're trying to do. It's like, I want to hear you. And I want, I want you to be able to say anything to me because I, that's the only way we're going to get through this is if you listen to me and I listen to you and you can ask questions. It's okay to ask questions because some people are embarrassed. You get to a certain age and you think, I should know this, but is it okay to say this to someone? And then sometimes the answer is absolutely not, you know, <laughs> right? but, but you have to know that you have to know that. And you have to educate yourself. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And you know, it's it's very interesting because I've grown up um, really fighting and for my voice to be heard. And oftentimes I'm sitting in meetings with white men. And when I challenge them or contradict them or they try to shame me, I've always advocated for myself. And, and in meetings, I will say, is it because I'm a woman or is it because I'm Mexican or is it because I'm both? And the room goes silent. <laughs> I would Nobody imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised people aren't running out of the room. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting now, fast forwarding it, because I've always voiced my being a woman or Mexican because, you know, I'm in a very white dominated, I mean, in school as well, you know, with professors that would challenge. If I would challenge a professor, they tried to. And I always had in the back of my mind, is it because I'm a person of color mm -hmm. and to live a life like that, it is, I mean, you, it's my, it's my norm, you know? Yeah. And yeah. 
And, and so, you don't want that to be stifling in your growth or how you are, are out in the world navigating it. And when you do find your voice and it, it is powerful and you're able to use it, I, I feel like the world is a better place. And I hate, you know, it, it almost feels we're not white shaming. No, not, not at all. And I, but I feel like a lot of people, a lot of white people think that we're attacking them or we're beating them up. And that's, I mean, I'm the first person to embrace everyone. Mm-hmm. I can I can confirm that that <laughs> and I am too. I'm the first person to. I mean, I I work heavily with an autism population that has no voice, and I advocate for them relentlessly. And so um, I really try to advocate for all, all lives that don't have a voice to give them a voice and to help them navigate and to see. Um, you know, the, the, to embrace differences. That's my big thing because that's how you build compassion is when you look at, yeah, we're different color or we're different gender and to embrace it and see what you have to offer each other because that's how we build compassion within our children, within ourselves. Within our communities. And the other thing too, Dr. Nunez, I wanted to bring up is that, you know, I, I put something on Facebook earlier this week. I have a, a goddaughter and I said, I just want to make the world a better place for her show me who you want to make the world a better place for. And what I found is that I received several posts from people. There was this one guy, he's white. He sent me a picture of his granddaughter who is black and his grandson who is a redhead. Mm -hmm. So there are so many blended families, but if you just meet this guy out in the world on his own, you have no idea he has a black granddaughter and a, and a redheaded, you know, grandson. So I feel like those conversations have to be had too, because sometimes you think you're in, I don't know, complicit company and you start saying things and it's like, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. wrong, wrong crowd. Wrong crowd. Yeah. I mean, and, and to be open of that, because we don't know people's um, situations at home. We don't know their families and their dynamics and um, yeah, I mean, it is people, sometimes people are too quick to judge just, don't judge a book by its cover. This, it's, a, it's a typical this thing. This is true. Yeah, we're, and, we're all guilty of it. I mean, I'm guilty of it. Mm-hmm. As, as much as inclusive and open I am sometimes when I'm, you know what it is? It's not, it's when I'm not in a Zen place, when I'm more um, easy to react, when I'm stressed. So right now, a lot of people are stressed. So they're going to be easy to react and, and they're going to become more defensive, if you will. A lot of shoulders are up here right now yeah. as opposed yeah. to down and then, when people are more reactive mm-hmm. and that's when you see judging books by their cover and 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 so it's really important to um get in a healthy zen meditative place uh for ev- for everybody it, it, so you're non-reactive yeah. especially in a time during uh, where all this stuff is going on ginger once misjudged this book by its cover she didn't realize <laughs> when i went to ancestry.com i am 0.4 percent african in my heritage so <laughs> Something to keep in mind. <laughs> Something very small to keep in mind. Um, so, <laughs> but I will say this, and I, you know, and Matt, I hope you don't mind me sharing. But Uh-oh. I feel like sometimes in our communities, we don't, you know, if you're a white person, you, you you hesitate to say things. And Matt, I clearly remember this one time you shared a picture with me of Sawyer, that's his youngest, mm-hmm. holding this doll, and you said this is her favorite doll. Can, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, she's probably in here. And and, I'm in the playroom right now. So, yes, yeah, I know and, which doll you're talking about. Are you okay with me saying? Yeah, of course. And, and you, were, you were like, you know, 
I love that this is her favorite doll and it was a brown doll. Mm -hmm. And you're like, but you know what? I, I don't even want to post this because I don't want people to think it's a setup or, or to have any ugly comments made about my child. That, that broke my heart. That broke my heart. And I was like, when are we going to change that? Who cares what color the doll is? She just loved the doll because it was her dolly. Yeah. yeah. But we're so used to seeing when things are posted on social media, oh. it gets twisted. So, I mean, it literally, we went to the store. We were like, which is your favorite? She chooses the little darker skinned doll. She loved this doll. And it's the one she played with, you know, forever. But you, you, feel like if you do post something like that, somebody's going to say, oh, yeah. you're just trying to prove a point or make a statement when literally it was just her natural reaction. Her favorite. And yeah. that's where, and that's the beauty and the innocence of kids where they can teach us so much, you mm -hmm. know, and for people then to assume and make assumptions of that's where I think more dialogue needs to happen. Like, where is that coming from for them? Cause that, 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 Obviously, it's it's a lifelong or, or it, it evokes emotions for them, but they people really need to start looking back is why are they getting so upset if he would post that picture? Like, yeah. really, what, what's upsetting about it? There's something within you that is being triggered. And what is that that's being triggered? Ding, that's ding. Start mm -hmm. asking more questions of why is that triggering within yourself? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one other thing I, I do want to bring up, and it, I think he said it this week, is James Corden, who hosts The Late Late Show on, on CBS. And, you know, he is a lovable guy, very affable. And he said something that was so profound this week. It just stopped me in my tracks. He said that he thought not being a racist was him doing his part for where <laughs> we are right now. And, but that's what a lot of people think. You think, okay, I'm, I'm not a racist, so I'm not that person, so yay, good for me. But he says now is the time for people like him to be out there protesting and making their voices heard because it's just not right. Right. It's, it's not right. And it's interesting that you say that because I have a client who um, uh, is white, and she went and protested two nights ago. And um, her sign said, white silence is violence. Mm. And she said, I did not know that racism existed this much. She said people were flipping her off, cussing her out, throwing things at her. And she was so, she, she, it made her aware of where we live and that it does exist. And yeah. she was so... It was an eye-opening moment for her. And now, you know, she definitely wants to do some more protesting and, and being a voice yeah. for people of color. And it's, it's, it's really beautiful that to recognize that, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, I think that is, yeah, a, right? that is a perfect way to tie a bow <laughs> on this. Dr. Nunez, thank you so much for joining us for Florida's Fourth Estate. Thank you, everybody. Brittany Edwards saying she loves us, guys. We also have uh, John Tilson saying it's not the color of your skin. It's the purity yeah. of your soul that matters. Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen. John. So great yeah. conversation. We appreciate you, Dr. Nunez, Ginger Gadsden. Thank you for, uh, thank you for being my friend. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. I'm You're Matt welcome, Austin. Friend. Hopefully you have a fantastic day. This is another edition of Florida's Fourth Estate.